0: Hi everyone, welcome back uh, to a special edition of Black at Stan Podcast. Today we'll be interviewing um President Jun, who is the current president of the CSU Stanislaus campus. Um, We discuss diversity on campus, grad 2025, as well as athletic priority. This is your host panel. My name is Ashton.
1: Hi, my name is Winola.
2: I'm Jada.
3: It's the big boss man Micah here.
2: And this is Maya.
0: Um, Just before we get into our interview, We'd like to remind you guys that we do have our upcoming pool jam which will be on april 28th hey, at hey. the vistas at 2 p.m um we also the next bsu meeting will be on the 25th and elections for bsu will be on may 20 um sorry may 7th
1: hello guys um today we have a very special guest here with us um you may know her as madam president but here today <laughs> we have uh, president ella jen of cc stanislaus with us today
4: Thank you so much I'm really excited to be here. I really appreciate the invitation.
2: So with that being said, our first question is a lot of clubs and organizations that would have had the honors and would have loved to have done this interview with us what made you choose to do this interview with blackistan?
4: Well, I think it's especially important because um, it is a fundamental core principle for me to really embrace and validate and support students no matter what their background their ethnicity, um, gender economic background and so on and Uh, especially here in the Valley, having uh, black students involved and feeling welcome and part of the campus is very, very important to me. So I was especially pleased. And I will tell you, my husband listens to this show, and he (laughs) says, yes, (laughs) and he says, how come you've never been on the show? (laughs) And I said, well, I don't know. No one's ever asked. And so I'm so grateful, really, that you take the initiative to want to hear and ask questions and have a dialogue. So... I'm really excited to be here tonight.
1: Perfect. And then um, we also know that you're not only the 11th president of CSU Stanislaus, but also the first Korean American woman to be president of a four-year university in all of America. (laughs) Um, How does that pressure feel, and what does, you know, how does it build upon you?
4: Well, for me, it doesn't feel like pressure because um, if you really love and care about what you do, you just do it because it's the right thing to do. So I don't, but I will say I was surprised to find out that I was the first um, Korean American woman president of a four year institution. And um, in fact, there's only 10 uh, Asian American women who've been presidents of any university four year in the, in the country. So that was surprising to me, right? Um, but I think um, to the extent that it helps to have role models that you can identify with, uh, having more women that's the exciting thing is in the CSU now has 23 campuses, and uh, let's see, I think it's 13 now are women presidents. So 52% it's the highest in the country in terms of the number, um, number of women presidents. So I think it, it's great to have role models and mentors, women and women of color especially.
3: So when you said... Or you said earlier that you were surprised to find out that you were the um, first Korean-American mm-hmm. president. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find out?
4: Well, I actually, at the time of my investiture or inauguration, um, I was curious to know Am I, you know, how many women presidents are there. And uh, so it turned out that the state of California's uh, library um, was willing to do the research. So they actually did the research and sent me the data. And uh, that's the, where, how it came to pass that um, I found out that information. There is a, one other second Korean woman president um, at another private. And she was just, I think, um, appointed last year. So. But I came the year before. <laughs> so I've got priority. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well,
3: as, um, since we are in the CSU system, it's interesting that we are the we were one of the few, correct me if I'm wrong, we were one of the few mm-hmm. um, CSUs to implement a diversity center.
4: Oh, yeah. well, actually, no, it's the other way around. Is it? There are more, I think, um, I've been at, you know, I've been in the CSU 32 years, and so I've worked at five other CSU campuses, and all of them had some kind of diversity. Sometimes they're called multicultural centers, or sometimes there would be an African American student center, or a Latino one, or an Asian one. But when I came to this campus, there wasn't anything. And I thought, this is terrible. We need to put in some space where students uh, from all different backgrounds can congregate, um, have programming, meet with each other, uh, and get support. So oh, did
3: I word that wrong? I thought I, yeah. yeah. Oh, I meant to say, yeah, we're the, we're the one, one of the One of last, the few, yeah. yes. Last few. Okay.
4: Yes, that was so surprising to me. So, <laughs> so that was one of my first things when I got here, as I told our um, CFO, Chief Financial Officer, uh, Vice President for Business and Finance, please find a room, a space somewhere where we can um, start building a center for our students. Okay, um,
3: so what was that process like, getting
4: the, that done? Oh, well, it's hard because um, our campus, like many campuses, um, never have enough space for more programming, more, um, especially not just classroom space, but other programming spaces for other different kinds of programs that the uh, campuses want to put forward. So it's always a struggle, because to find space means you have to take it away from someone else, right? So that makes it uh, politically more difficult. And But in this case, um, we happen to have a good solution. Even though the library is going to be remodeled in two years, it'll come down and be re- rebuilt. Uh, We had some space that used to be where they had stored the archives. So this is archival data, which they um, are moving more to put electronically so that the space became available. And the thing for me that was really important, it was a big space. It had three different rooms so that the different rooms can be used differently for different kinds of functions by all of the groups on campus, the student clubs.
2: So... um like you said, you worked at five other CSU campuses, and Fullerton's the one you taught there as well. Yes. So that was like seventeen years, am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Wow, it's you <laughs> got your data right. <laughs> yeah. um, Very good. Including Cal State Dominguez Hills and yes. San Jose State. So, yes. were we the school that didn't have one, or did you have to do it at the other ones? What was that
4: like? Um, at the other campuses where I was, they already had student right. um, centers of different kinds, and uh, Stan, uh San Jose now has put in a new student union. And so a lot of their student spaces are located in the student union. Um, but the funny thing is, depending on the campus, um, it also depended on the the particular students at that different times in history. So let's say maybe um, one club was more active, so they got a, a, a student space first. And then later, a different club came more active, so they got another space. And they were always not necessarily together, nearby, or in the same building, or in any of that. So they weren't always equivalent. And so when you build one from the ground up, then you can make it a really um, high-powered one, um, a nicer one. And then the best part is that all the students can be involved in planning the space, and then figuring out how do they want to use the space. So that was the interesting thing, is that when we first found the space, we cleaned it up. It had to be cleaned and painted and all this. And so initially, we had. Uh, thought that the student clubs wanted to have their own corner in, in each of these rooms. And when the, the, the students came and looked at the space, they said, no, 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 no. We don't want to be separated. We want it to be one big area. We'll use them for different kinds of purposes. So um, we said, okay, the, you students, help us design the space. So that's the best part is that, that having all the student clubs, on diverse clubs particularly, uh, can work together and they have wanted to work together. So that's a, a real benefit in doing it from scratch.
3: Okay. Um, so as we established, um, so we were one of the last few schools to get a diversity center. Yeah. Um, so we're also now, we're the only school in the CCAA Athletic Conference that doesn't have athletic karate registration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you thought we would follow that trend like with the athletic registration as well. Well,
4: you know, every campus um, has a process for how to, um, you know, achieve different priority registrations. So priority registration is something that is an academic um, you know, policy. So because it's an academic policy, that means it does have to go through the academic process. And the academic process includes um, discussion and approval through the Academic Senate, right, through the Faculty Senate, if you will. And so my understanding is that uh, before I came, there had been several attempts over quite a few years. Many, many protests. Many protests? Oh (laughs) my goodness. Plenty of petitions. (laughs) Uh, Yes, so so what I understand is that last year and then this year, the ASI decided to really try and make it a priority uh, to make a proposal for priority registration. And so um, I understand because I've heard from Brandon that he has uh, put together a proposal. I mean, he did ask for some assistance in terms of helping to create some nice data tables and et cetera. Because you want to make your case as strong as possible because the faculty senate is the one that's going to vote on this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I um, understand that the proposal has been done. It's been submitted to the senate. And then the way the process works is once the proposal comes to the senate, they have many different committees. So there's... Um, I think it's uh, the University Educational Policy Committee. So that proposal will go to that committee, and then the committee members will debate it and then bring it to the Senate floor for discussion and, and voting. So uh, we're going to follow that process and see where it goes from there. But I, my, my understanding is that the case has been pretty strong, yeah. strongly made, and the evidence sounds very good. So um, you know, hopefully that will be persuasive in helping to garner the votes necessary.
3: Are you in favor of it?
4: Well, it does, uh, you know, I've looked at the the data, the data do seem very persuasive, um, but what we want to do is first let the process go through the normal channels and uh, see what the faculty and how um, they can be, um, you know, persuaded that this is an important thing for campus to put in place, because as you say, we're the only campus that doesn't have that currently.
5: So some of you may know, the black population on our campus is approximately 2%, with the majority of those being athletes. But that being said, the recruitment and retention of black students is critically important to the future of diversity on this campus. Yes. What priority will you place on this area, and how would you ensure the black ensure black student success at CSU Stanislaus?
4: It is so important to me, and I can talk about maybe why from my childhood it's important. But um, for me, it's especially important because uh, here in the Central Valley, there's not a Huge proportion, and I don't know which cities you all grew up in. Which city are you from? Uh, I'm from Temecula, Southern T- California. Temecula, yeah, I do. I'd like just to live in Orange <laughs> County. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and where are you from? Los Angeles, L.A. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm originally from the Bay Area, but now I live
4: in. Carolina, so. Oh, okay. Palmdale. 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 <laughs> Palmdale. Yeah. So, see, so none of you are from the Central Valley per se, no. right? Also okay. So that's why it was more <laughs> important to me to make sure that we are attracting more students, especially African American students. And making it a welcoming, affirmative um, place where you feel like you can belong and you feel safe and that you can excel, right? So one of the things that um, I decided to do was not just to create the diversity center, but uh, hire a brand new person that didn't exist before. So there will be a coordinator. The search is actually happening now. In fact, I think the candidates will be coming to campus for their interviews in the next couple weeks. And so you should, if you get a chance, you should go meet them and see which ones you like yeah and uh in addition that person who's going to be hired i've asked that they have a new responsibility that the responsibility is to oversee brand new programming to help uh, students of color and with a special focus on african-american uh and especially african-american men because the, the number of men um of you know of color here on campuses is, is much smaller than our other ethnic groups and that is something that the entire system the csu system is paying attention to so, in fact, today, um, the entire chancellor's office has a big um, symposium on supporting um, men of color, young men of color in the CSU. And I came from a campus at Dominguez Hills where they had a really strong program that was called MSA, Male Success Alliance, that was originally for African-American students, mostly from the Compton and the Watts area. And uh, so how do you recruit more men to come? How do you help them once they get here? And so... Um, so I wanted to do something similar. When I was at San Jose State, uh, launched a separate um, you know, uh, African-American student success program and Latino because those two groups were not performing as well. And so we wanted to create uh, more programming. And so they made some good progress, even though I've now left um, you know, that campus. I was a provost there before. Mm-hmm. So um, it is definitely very, very strong. And here's the other thing is that we have a branch campus in Stockton. And Stockton has a much higher percentage of African-American residents in that area. So we can grow with more programming and more support. Um, And, of course, their mayor, I don't know if you've met him, Michael Tubbs. He is so cool, Mm -hmm. African-American guy, you know, uh, twice alumni from Stanford, a lot of energy, fantastic guy. So he's working with us, and he said that he was going to help us when we tried to launch this new program. But uh, So African-American students are really important to me. And I was told at one time that this campus had a very strong BSU. And then um, I don't know how many years ago. It was quite a few. In fact, one of the students who was in BSU is now a faculty member here, uh, Dr. Kilola Brody. If you, oh, yeah, yeah. Have you oh, met her? Yeah, yeah. So yes. she can tell you stories because she was here in a very active BSU many years ago when she was a student here uh, as an undergrad. So it is it's critically important to me.
1: Like like you said, there used to be a very strong academic American yes. population here. Yeah. Um, what do you think made that like kind of resend and turn back to this trend of not having many? Well, any
4: at all? Mm. well, remember this campus had uh, in the first time in its history, and this is 12 years ago, um, had the first African American female president, Marveline Hughes, and she and I um, stay in contact. I've visited her a couple times, and she's retired, of course, now uh, near San Diego. And so when you have um, a clear role model, and then I think there were um, also additional um, more, maybe there were more uh, African-American um, leaders, not just student leaders, but also um, administrators that were more visible. And so students would say, oh, I can go here. I can feel safe. I can see that you know, there are administrators who look like me, who may have had experiences like me. So sometimes that can wax and wane over time. And uh, again, that's why I was so excited to see you all are doing some wonderful things. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you're like the, the club that went out and worked with the UPD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that is something that I so admire that you take the initiative and you're strong in your leadership to, to create those relationships and make them better and stronger. So you' so maybe we'll have a new Renaissance. You guys will be the next <laughs> the next Renaissance period where you know, students of color, are, uh, especially African American students are really going to feel welcome. And so here's another example of a great hire that I can say I <laughs> helped to <laughs> <you> make as <laughs> <is laughs> Rosalie, as our Senior Associate Vice President for Marketing Media and Communications. So um, so we're, and then I, in my office, I also have the um, special, um, Presidential Special Projects uh, Initiative Director, and she is, um, um, I brought her from Dominguez Hills, and so I don't know if you've met her yet, Naisha Rhodes. Yep. Mm. So we're, um, you know, definitely trying to ramp up and make people feel welcome by having others on campus who look like them
0: and have yeah. had similar experiences. So as Maya said, um, the campus population of black students is around 2%. Right. Do you find that that number is rising or falling?
4: Um, I think it's been relatively stable, mm-hmm. um, but my hope is that we will um, it will increase because right now we're doing more to broaden and strengthen our Stockton um, you know, uh, satellite campus. So the hope is that we'll get more African-American students joining through there. And then again, when we this new coordinator comes on, to, um, after we hired them this, you know, in this spring, that that person will bring new energy to bring more students to the Turlock campus as well. So my hope is that we'll, you know, continue to see stronger numbers.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. So. So, so we kind yeah. of um, touched on it. You've yeah. kind of touched on it previously, uh-huh.
0: but um, we have a few Black students have noticed on our campus that the faculty, of course, don't really reflect them. Um, so. You already touched kind of on the few mm-hmm. initiatives that you've made, but are you um, yeah. currently making any more to bring in yes. more Black faculty into our school?
4: Absolutely. So um, that you know, it's a kind of a, a double-edged sword because what that means is we need more people to go and get their doctorate. So maybe all of you should think about getting <laughs> your doctorates and coming back to be a professor, right? So, uh, so part of it's a pipeline issue, right? And because there aren't as many African American um, doctoral, you know, candidates that are out there. That when they they do go out in the job market guess what they get snapped up by everybody else right. you know so uh they might get snapped up you know by another institution or a campus so we compete with other campuses and so uh, again that's again something that um we can absolutely work on i've been working with our uh avp for faculty affairs jake byers mm-hmm. and he's another strong ally you should meet um so he is working with um, the provost and with me to figure out what kinds of programs could we institute to help um, attract more um, faculty, uh, diverse faculty, to come and want to be in the Central Valley. And of course, it is sometimes can be a disadvantage because it wasn't too hard to recruit um, you know, African American faculty, for example, to Dominguez Hills, because it's right in a very diverse area of the South Bay of LA, right? Mm-hmm. But some people might not feel as comfortable because this is not as diverse right here in Turlock. So if you're setting up family and all that. Um, so um, so it's it's a mixture of things, but I think definitely trying to build the pipeline and then um, make um, put together packages that that faculty find attractive. And many faculty will we can pluck them from the East Coast because, you know, they have snow there. <laughs> and then you can say, oh, we've come to California, and there's no more snow that you have to worry about unless you want to drive to the mountains. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the, the lifestyle of California is, is a wonderful place. It's much more affordable here than, like, the Bay Area or anything. You can't afford to buy a house if you're a family. Um, so those we're going to use all of those things to leverage
0: so the few black faculty that we do have on our yes. campus, um, do you have any initiatives to kind of retain them to this campus instead of moving to other jobs?
4: Yes. So one example is uh, since I arrived, we created this new thing called the UFO. <laughs> it stands for, not the, un, un, you know, the terrestrial, um, extraterrestrials, but it stands for Untenured, untenured Faculty Organization. So uh, we do have some new faculty that, these are faculty who have been recently hired who are not yet tenured. And so they uh, joined this organization, and it's a support organization. Uh, They have elected positions, and you can find them on the website, actually. They have a website, the UFO, on Tenured Faculty Organization, and they put on many different workshops and seminars on everything on teaching to help how to promote research, um, all the things that you need to demonstrate in order to get tenure. And so... um, and then uh, the provost office provides support, and Jake also provides support as the faculty affairs AVP. Um, so that's one example, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and then uh, I try and um, have now tried to launch what we are calling um, campus affinity groups. So many campuses where I've been, there are groups of faculty and staff. For example, the Black Faculty and Staff Association or um, you know the Asian Faculty, Staff and Association, or the Hispanic Faculty and Staff Association. So we didn't have any of those that include faculty and staff. So we are starting to do those. And uh, so we now have groups of faculty who are starting to get ready to launch so that they meet monthly and to talk about what can we do in terms of programming, in terms of um, access to funding and those kinds of things. And so in order to um, also have some funding available as president, I did set aside, it's not a lot of money, 50000 a year, where um, we. I also created this new thing called the PCDI, the Presence Commission for Diversity and Inclusion, and asked, this is a really big group, and Kilolo is the chair, and then there are uh, two additional co-chairs as well, Daniel and Bao, two professors as well. And then, so they. I charged them to to come up with an institutional diversity plan. so a much bigger plan. And then the 50,000 is then allocated in grant processes. So students can apply for grant funding to, let's say, do an event during uh, African American History Month, and um, or any set of speakers, or to sometimes fund research. So there is at least a pot of money that's designed for those kinds of efforts, inclusionary efforts. That's
0: good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, so throughout this interview, we yes. kind of uh, associated you with the diversity of campus yeah. and the protection of diversity on this campus. Because you know you are um, a strong leader as for the Dreamers Act and such mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So how often do you attend events held by ethnic groups or organizations here on campus?
4: You know, it's very it's a great question. Uh, usually the events that uh, students organize, they never I never um, am I'm not always invited. So that's the other thing is we just have to let students know. Uh, Let me know when you're having events. If I'm in town and I'm available, of course, I would love to attend. And often what happens is since clubs and activities and organizations fall under the division of what's called student affairs, there's a vice president of student affairs, Suzanne Espinoza. There's a dean of students, um, Matt, Matt. right? Mm -hmm. And so they're the ones that get the information often and find out. And sometimes students will have events and they don't even let us know. Like, for example, I think... Was it you guys? Somebody in it invited uh, the mayor, Tubbs. It was. Was was it it, that? that Was you guys? Like I. Oh no, you don't. (laughs) You don't have to. But if I knew he was on campus, I would have loved to see you know um, Mayor Tubbs because he's just such a dynamic, wonderful, Yeah. yeah, it's so smart, so fun, and just a really engaging guy. And I would love to have been there to say thank you for coming and talking to the students. And I didn't even know. So that's part of it. Is my calendar is so crazy. But if you let me know, of course, I'll be there. So I am usually invited to some of the biggest events, like the, uh, they have a Chicanx, um, kind of a graduation celebration, right? Oh. And they told me that I was the first president ever to attend that. So that surprised me. But um, so, And we compared to many other campuses, we probably don't have as many student clubs um, as other bigger campuses. Of course, we're a smaller campus as well. So, um, yeah, so the more students invite me, I, the more I'd like to be able to attend. So, like, when, now that we had the 50,000, this past year, January, February, uh, March, uh, for the different months of celebration, there was a calendar published. So I could see that there were this, you know, the African-American students are doing this or that, uh, the Women's History Month. So I, I tried to go to at least, you know, one or two of those events um, during those months. But um, I would, you know, like I said. So I don't know in terms of totally how many uh, in the, let's see, I've only been here a year, year and a half. And um, so probably about t- maybe a dozen, 10 to 12 different events that over the course of, you know, a year and a half. But it's something obviously. Just invite me and I'm like here, I'd love to come yeah. talk to you or yeah, whatever. Exactly. So thank you.
1: Well, As we all know, the Chancellor's Office has already initiated a new Mm -hmm. program called Grad Initiative 2025. Yes. Um, It's a plan to get more students to graduate at a faster pace. Yes. However, it has come with some changes to the GED section um, Mm -hmm. of the Chancellor's Office, now initiating Executive Order EO 1100. uh Um, So how should we expect Stanislaus to implement this?
4: Well it is uh, something that is um, a system-wide effort. And you know, the effort is not that uncommon in other states as well. So other states, uh, Georgia and some others have been looking at how to help students um, get the right classes, take the right classes and graduate uh, instead of you know extending it out over six to eight years making it more closer, like you say, to a four-year graduation rate. Now that's not always possible because students have complicated lives and you need to work uh, so you can't have to fitting in your work hours plus your schooling hours. But executive order 1100 and 1110 are two slightly different um, orders, but what it says is asking all the 23 campuses, and again, because it's academic, it's about courses, so then the faculty get involved. So the senates are very um, heavily involved in trying to figure out how to make Executive 1100 work. So the, the the idea in 1100 is that you're not supposed to have more than 48, no more than 49 units in the GE package, general education package, okay? And then, of those general education packages, there are usually areas like you know, if you if you're if you have a general education, you should have had at least one course in the sciences, right? Another course in English, another course in maybe in speech. You should know how to give speech, right? So they have these A through um, E areas. But some campuses, over the course of the last you know 20, 30 years, um, have added more areas and more units. So that's why the executive orders saying don't have any more than um, A through E uh, areas. And, that, um, and then don't have more than 48 to 49 units. So our campus has really been doing a great job. And so we, do have, we did have a category called F and a category called G. And the, uh, I think it was the G category that people were concerned about because the G category was the multicultural but what we're, the Senate has figured out a very clever thing to do is to say, instead of calling it a separate area of GE, uh, it's going to be a graduation requirement. So it's not actually in the GE, but it's required. So you have to take a multicultural course uh, in order to graduate with a Stan State degree. And to me, that's really important because every student with a Stan State diploma should understand the complexity and the, the beauty of having an understanding uh, multiple cultures right so um so we are on target and i think the senate just debated on tuesday is today thursday Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they just debated on, ter- on tuesday how to make this happen so uh we're on track and so uh you know i would be upset if they would try and eliminate it but they're not eliminating it they're embedding it integrating it into the requirements to have a stand state diploma
1: Mm-hmm. okay and then another question to add on, on top of that do you wish that the chancellor's office i know because they'd be they're pumping out executive orders left and right to just like encourage students to graduate faster uh-huh. but do you feel like they're kind of rushing this process a little bit
4: well um first of all that uh, i just recently learned of the data the executive orders um every year is actually not that many uh compared to past years so in terms of just the actual data, the chancellor's office is not pumping out more uh, executive orders than in previous years. In fact, they're doing significantly fewer, and some of the executive orders are rescissions of past <laughs> executive orders. So they're actually cutting back some of the executive orders or consolidating them. So that doesn't. I think what the issue is for these particular GE executive orders, eleven hundred eleven ten, is that it is complicated. Um, and every campus can develop you know, which courses fall under which category and what are the processes. So all of that is a complex um, you know, process, and that's why it seems hard to do quickly. But on the other hand, if you don't set a deadline or a timeline, then ne- it might never happen because people keep dragging it out, mm-hmm. and then you don't see change. And every year we go by that students don't have a clear pathway for um, figuring out their courses – then it's, it's costing you more money because you're staying longer and um, it's not helping you graduate faster, right? So at some point, you gotta draw the line somewhere. And so I think that's part of the effort. And really, the, the chancellor's office cares deeply. Um, our chancellor just completely loves students. That's his most favorite part when he goes to visit campuses. He loves to, to meet with students. He was here several years ago, I think, before I came, right? Um, I you were did yes. you get to meet, yes, I to meet him? Oh, he's wonderful. He's a total believer and uh, loves students from that standpoint, so he, they're really coming from a position of trying to help students But it is really hard because it's you know figuring out all of these course patterns and progress and going through the Senate process Which is complicated
5: so recognizing that we all have some limitations what characteristics or qualities might hamper your effectiveness as a university president?
4: Oh, not having enough hours in a day. <laughs> no, really, it's, it's a real problem because there are so many things that we can all be doing and doing together. And so uh, as university president, a lot of my time has to be spent on the outside, right? Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time, and we have two campuses. We have both Turlock, where, and then we have um, Stockton, Stockton Center. So I have to divide my time and spend some time up there. But also many of our students, most of them come from Modesto area, like Modesto Community College. Uh, MJC. And so um, a lot of my time has been building bridges and relationships. And as president, I'm also expected to raise money, right? Mm-hmm. And our campus, unfortunately, did not have a strong history of raising money in the past. And uh, so that was has been a, a strong goal. So uh, my hope is to raise $15 million in the next five years. And so uh, we've already uh, my first year already over three three million, and this year we're again probably going to be over three million again. And but the the money that I'm raising is um, very uh, what's the word targeted. So um, it's for mostly people want to donate money for scholarships. So we had a big donation that came in for uh, the nursing practitioner program. So it's for scholarships for students getting nursing practitioner degrees. So unfortunately, I can't spread it out. For everybody, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, but at least we are now, you know, six million plus uh, in the year and a half I've been here. So um, that so f- I think it is also harder, perhaps, to raise money in the Central Valley because um, we have many farmers who are wealthy, but most of their wealth is, is not in cash. It's mm-hmm. it's in their land. Yeah. It's in their equipment. It's to pay all their um, you know farm people working on the farms. So um, it's, not, it's not like you can go to Silicon Valley and they can write you a check for, you know, the yeah. yes. <laughs> right. So we have different challenges there. And um, so those are things that, um, you know, I try and figure out how to balance all, the, all of that as well.
2: So you're the oldest in your family, the oldest of three girls, which can be a little bit difficult. Boy, you guys really do
4: your research. I am so impressed. (laughs) And so you have
2: a master's in cognitive and developmental psychology. A master's and doctorate. Yeah. yeah. Uh So being the oldest, do you Uh think that's something that made you want to teach or is it something else?
4: Well, um, let's see. You know, from my culture, my parents are from South Korea, and so um, my father, when we, he was the first in his family to go to college, and so it was really important to him to say all his children were going to go to college. So um, that was my, my mother's family. Her father had been educated in college before, but uh, it was a very strong value, so strong, in fact, that I remember as a kid him saying a couple things. One is he said, uh, when you become Um, When you start to raise a family, you have three important values. One is the choice to have children, and the second is to um, make sure that they're educated, and the third is to live in a democracy. And so my father was a political scientist, so that's where it was very important to him. And as a firstborn, um, some of the research does show that firstborns tend to be a little bit more overachievers, because parents are the firstborn. They put a lot of pressure on the firstborn. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys, any of you are firstborn. Yes. So you can identify. Yes, yes. yes. And, uh, but it was also interesting because in the Korean culture and in, in the time that my father was growing up, um, you know, uh, the, the child who is most valued is a boy, not a girl. And what did my father have? He had three girls. So he became what I call an accidental feminist. <laughs> because he th- said you can do anything a boy can do and better so that meant that all three of us were very high strong achievers because he put such pressure on uh, the fact that we w- were you know not boys and just as an example in um, the the time at which my father lived that if you had married they had kept um, a tree you know the family tree and they draw it out in these really big books over hundreds of years and if you had a married couple, the only children they showed and when a couple married was if they had a son. So my father was listed as having no children until mm-hmm. his brother in Korea donated his son to be listed as my father's child because otherwise it would look like he was childless. Isn't that crazy? So that's, that practice stopped, of course, now. It's you know many years later. But um, in part it stopped because my uh, grandfather, the, my, my surviving grandfather, Said he wrote me a letter when I was at you know in graduate school. I went to Princeton, and I couldn't read it because it's all in Korean, and so I had to have my mother translate it. And it said, "Because you are getting a PhD from Princeton, even though you're a girl, we're going to put you in the book, and and partly because no other boy <laughs> got into Princeton and got a PhD, so you deserve to be in the book. So um, <laughs> sure. I know isn't that crazy? But times change, and uh, so that was um, you know." So those, all of those things probably had a uh, an impact on, you know, why we were all such strong achievers. So um, my two other sisters also have, um, you know, a doctoral degree or all but dissertation degrees as well. So my other sister is a, a professor of, of government in USC. And my other sister also uh, had her graduate degree in economics. So...
3: Do you, do you have any questions for us as students?
4: Yes, I want you to continue being strong. What years are you? What I'm are a you? Pressure. Oh yes, you can be <laughs> here for four more years, right? Yes. That's good because we need strong leaders like yourselves to get more activists, students to join and do the kinds of things that you're doing. What year are you?
3: I'm actually graduating. Oh, semester. and then
4: <laughs> but you're gonna to go to graduate school. Uh, law school. Law probably. school. Bravo, okay. bravo, Bravo. Outstanding. And how about you? I'm a junior Junior.
0: I'm also a junior.
4: Junior? I'm a freshman. Oh, yay. I like the freshman, binge, but you, you are, because we want you to Whoa. stay. No, because we want you to stay and continue to be strong leaders, continue to be, you know, create really strong um, student organizations. Oh, and what is what year are you? No, I'm a junior. It's You're a junior, senior. too. <laughs> yeah, juniors. And then, so here's the other thing, is um, we're going to try and create this, um, you know, student of, of color success program. So if you would be willing, especially as African-American men, to um, be involved in developing the program or in helping mentoring other young men, um, I, it would just mean such a world of gratitude for me because uh, what, you know, all students, when they get here, not to feel like they're alone, right? And so how did you all find each other?
5: Well, <laughs> the, how we came together as a podcast or just in general? Oh, in general. So... I've met all of them through BSC through Black Student Union. Okay.
4: Yeah. Okay, and did you have like Black Student Unions in your high school? So that's or how did you?
5: Yeah, we had one in high school, but uh-huh. our meeting time was during lunchtime, and we I only see. had thirty minutes. So it's kind of hard to get your food then get to the area and have a, enough time to discuss what you're doing because at that point you have twenty minutes, you have people walking in and out constantly, and, then you have and to it go just to class. wasn't, yeah, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. it just wasn't effective.
4: I see. Then Mm -hmm.
2: together as a podcast, um, the first BSU meeting, Micah kind of stood up and all talked about how he wanted to start a podcast and signed our names up and we all met each other and I guess see that's even better because you guys
4: have the technology skills to do this that's Mm -hmm. because you can get your message out that way more effectively to many other people who might not be able to meet you physically sometimes on campus but that the fact that you're doing the podcast is really great. Do you also do social media, Facebook and yeah, we yeah. Instagram? Yeah. Instagram Twitter. Right. We're going to tag you. you know. Oh, <laughs> yay, I love it, love it. But here's the thing too is that I do know that that can be very effective to recruit students like San Jose when the African-American students, they had some issues you know, several years back. But when the students said, hey, it's safe to come here. It's great. Look at the kinds of things that we're doing. Then more students felt like, okay, I can go to San Jose, um, um, Yeah, San Jose and do well because there's a community of other students there that are ready to welcome them. So the fact that you have the technology skills on top of, you know, the leadership is fantastic. So keep it up is what I'm saying. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) Mm ma'am. Well, let me know if any of you (laughs) – well, I will say one other question, and that is if you're interested in – Someday becoming a professor and getting your doctorate, you need to come and see me because there's lots of things I can do to help prepare you to be successful, to get into graduate programs. And you don't necessarily have to have a lot of money to get a PhD. So I went and didn't pay a penny because if you do the right things and you get the right um, uh, experiences, then the, the graduate schools are interested in uh, having you join them, right? So um, especially, you know, some of these... Um, other institutions, there. there's snow there, but you know, <laughs> there's a the good program. <laughs> yeah. well,
1: thank you so much for coming. And uh, on behalf of Blackhead Stan and also
4: BSU, we'd like to give you a t- Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Oh, that's fantastic. Did you just, was this an old slogan or is it something that you created new? We
5: created
4: new, it's the only shirt we have i now. So have a one of a kind. Oh, one of a kind, absolutely. Well, let me know when you have another event. Uh, and so if I'm in town, I would love to join and invite me. Oh, you're definitely welcome. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Really appreciate the time.
3: All right, everyone. That is all for our interview with President Jun. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah. Signing off. <laughs>